You may take your seats. If you're joining us for the first time, we are in uh, part three of our series on following Jesus. And the, the main idea that we're trying to get at is that there are three key um, sort of non-optional uh, pillars to what it means to actually follow Jesus. I don't actually have the emotional capacity to, to kind of dare to ask people what they think of when they think of a Christian or a follower of a Christian because I think we'd get some positive responses and some negative responses and a lot of it would often have to do with what we're doing or what we say we'll do and don't do, etc. And a lot of the time is what we believe or maybe how we behave or where we go on Sundays. But I want to tell you that none of that ultimately should be the, the initial description of a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus is going to, wait for it, follow Jesus. Okay? That means that we're going to draw close, so we're going to position ourselves to be with Him. We cannot help it. When we position ourselves to be with Him, we cannot help but become like Him because He does a work from the inside out. That's why you don't have to get your act together before you come to Jesus. You come to Jesus, and He does something from the inside out, and He starts to produce fruit. He starts to, he starts to do a work in you where, you, where, where before you even know it, you're actually becoming more loving and joyful and peaceful and kind. And if we get this order right, and the order is the difference between religion and salvation, if we don't get the order right, if we get the order right, if we will be with Jesus, become like Jesus, you will do what Jesus did. You can't help it. The problem, the danger comes in when we get that order wrong and we work from the bottom up. So when we, so when we first focus on what we have to do, or, or possibly who you have to become. So you better be kind. You better be loving. Yeah. Said with a whole bunch of hatred. You know, you, you better do good. Be generous. Give yourself. It becomes religion. It's just a 21st century form of being a Pharisee. Yes. And what is so scary is that it can sound so noble. It can sound so good. And I believe that that is the most dangerous form of deception. And false teaching. So when we focus on what you do first, or how you behave first, then it's what you're doing to get to God instead of recognizing that God has already done everything and made a way and built a bridge for us to have a relationship established with Him. One of the reasons that this is such a big issue to me, and, and again, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, I, I kind of emphasized this two weeks ago as well. But this weekend has honestly, and I don't say this lightly, this weekend has been the most disturbing, the most spiritually disturbing experience of my life. And the reason for that is because of this. The reason for that is because I've been in an environment that I took a whole bunch of people to. Like I made our people go to this thing. Our leaders, our elders, our staff, I, I made them go to the justice conference because even though we've been doing justice in many different forms for 20 years, personally and as a church, like we want to get better at doing justice because I believe that Jesus is absolutely just. You cannot, you cannot 
know Jesus, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and not want to do the things that Jesus did. And part of that is justice in, in every single form and iteration. But it disturbed me like I've never been disturbed. Where I realized that coming to what I thought was a Christian, if, if it wasn't a Christian conference, no problem. If you're telling me we're coming to a secular thing where people from all different walks of life, no problem at all. But the first workshop I went to effectively said, like, like this wasn't the language, but it's kind of a situation of like, like we need to worry less about this whole like sin thing and focus more on justice. And in other words, saying the way I interpret it is it's less about salvation and it's more about justice. And the way and, and the way that this thing continued on, I started to realize that I honestly think that the representatives here, and most of them are clergy, by the way, some form of clergy, I, I started to realize that most of the speakers, whether it's a workshop, and I, just, I think I happen to choose all the worst work, workshops, I don't know. There were a few people that went to some good workshops, I just happened to choose, I'm not joking, I, just, I think I just chose the bad ones. Um, but it opened my eyes to realize how easy it is to even make justice the path to salvation. So if I'm doing good, and, and, and I'm not saying that this was like vague or hazy. In my mind, this was the clear doctrine that was being taught. People, we had a, someone with a doctorate degree from, from, and who works at UNISA doing the main uh, session on Friday night, basically like, trying to explain why you need to take the word righteousness out of the Bible and put the word justice in there. And the thing is, they're both in the Bible. God's throne, Psalm says, is built on righteousness and justice. It's not, it's not either or, but, but can we allow God to be righteous? Like, is that all right? Can we allow God to care? Anyway, so, so, so understand that if I'm coming across with any additional level of passion this weekend, it is because it terrifies me that people could get this order wrong and think that it's about doing first, and that'll help us become next, and then maybe like we'll get to be with Jesus, although I don't even know if that's a big deal. The first workshop that I went to that, that so threw me was, was actually, the workshop was called Jesus and Justice. So I'm like, that sounds good. Right? Wouldn't you think so? Well, Jesus was made very, very small. And Justice was made very, very big. And, and this is where I got this. This is when I first started realizing, that, like, they don't believe in salvation. By grace, through faith... Because there's nothing that I can do in myself to ever be good enough. I can never be kind enough, generous enough, just enough. Never can I come close to paying off the debt that I owed God. Then why did Jesus need to die on the cross? So we want to add to what Jesus did. Now, again, don't hear what I'm not saying. Jesus will lead you to justice. And, and, and our world needs more and more justice. But it needs life-giving churches with life-giving Christians who have a revelation of who God is, how kind he is, what He's done for us, and that I get to be with Him. And out of that, out of that relationship with Him, I'm talking about a personal, vital, interactive, intimate, regular, daily, consistent relationship with Jesus where I keep positioning myself to be with Him. Outside of that, if you just try and do good without Jesus, I think it can make you ugly. And, and honestly, and you can speak to some of the other guys over there, and, and not everyone's experience was the same. I'm sharing my experience, so disclaimer. Obviously, this is my experience. Obviously, I'm subjective. I'm giving you my perception. But I've never done this ever. 
in my life have I ever spoken about an organization or a conference ever. This is the first day in my life. And I've been in full-time ministry for 21 years. So please understand how strongly I'm feeling about this. Because it's false doctrine. So, so I, I, I feel like the Bible says I have a responsibility to warn people against false doctrine. It is only as I draw close to Jesus, then, then like, it's not even going to be a striving. I'm going to become more like him because I can't draw close to him and not start caring about the things he cares about. I can't draw close to him and not start seeing the things that he sees. As I draw close to Jesus, he's going to produce fruit in me. Fruit is going to be formed, not forced. If we try and do good with our Jesus, then we're trying to force fruit. We are trying to attach good works. Take a look real quickly, and this isn't in the notes, by the way. If you, are follow, um, if you normally follow with us on version, the notes are on version, but this passage of Scripture won't be in there. Just as a side note, very quickly, 1 Corinthians 13, from verse 1, it says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, so of angels, right? So like in other words, you're spiritual, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. Verse 3, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. And by the way, just without Jesus, there's a lot of boasting. There's a lot of self-righteousness. Guys, if we don't get this order right, we're just going to add to that noise. If if we're going to do more justice without Jesus, it it can be ugly. It can be toxic. Can I I say this? Well, you don't have a choice. I have (laughs) never, I have never felt like I'm in such a hateful environment. And I'm like, okay, wait. Like, we're here about justice, right? Because we love people, right? But when you're doing it without Jesus, you can become so angry at everyone else that isn't doing what you're doing and applying the way you're applying. So, so, so then you'll end up hating the people while supposedly loving others and becoming increasingly self-righteous. Guys, it's ugly. The one session that I actually did get some stuff out of where I thought there were some, some good insights, there were some, some good illustrations, towards the end, and this is by another minister, towards the end, I started realizing, this guy is ugly. And I don't mean ugly like ugly. I mean, he was good looking. I mean, I mean, but you know what it's like, right? You know what it's like. You, you, you have a person that looks good on the outside, but the more they talk, the way, it's like, wait, there's, there's a death here. There's, I think there's a hatred. There's, a, there's an anger. There's an arrogance. There's no joy. There's no life. Like, guys, I, when I tell you that this is the most disturbing weekend I've ever had in my life, you, like spiritually speaking, I'm not talking about offenses and challenges. Like, that's, like that's life. We, we've been through trauma. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where I'm like, wow. If that's, if that's, what, if that's people leading churches... If this and, and, and listen, the church, the church, the church was dissed the whole weekend. I'm thinking, so it made me realize, wow, 
clearly, at least in this environment, and, and I don't know, it's 800,000 people, clearly in this environment, most people have had very negative experiences with church. It made me realize again how desperately we need to plant life-giving churches that get this order right, where we help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Because justice without Jesus will be ugly. Doing without being and becoming will be ugly. You'll just be self-righteous. You'll just feel great about yourself. I'm all that. No, you're not. You're ugly. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. In case I haven't made this point clearly enough, guys, it is the being first. We become, then we do. And none of those are optional. It is like a three-legged stool. You take, you take one of those legs away, it's going to topple over. You, you, cannot, you cannot rest anything on that. You can't put any other, any other weight on it. You can't put a TV on there. You can't put books on there. You can't, I'm not talking about where you sit and you lean against your two legs. I'm saying like if you're going to sit and lift your legs up and it's two legs, you're going to fall over and hurt something, right? You're going to break a hip or an ankle or whatever, depending on how old you are. Like, like you're going to hurt something, Right? In the same way, you cannot follow Jesus without all three legs. So, so just like I, th- I feel that, that false doctrine, like a false gospel has been preached, which I think is more dangerous than if, than if it was just secular and we were just presenting a secular philosophy. No problem, then you know what you... But, but when the Bible is used by every person speaking to communicate something that I don't think the Bible means. That is the most dangerous form of information that, that, that you can be exposed to. I think, it's, I, I think it's evil. I think there's a spirit behind that. Satan didn't, didn't uh, test Jesus by breaking his leg. In the wilderness, he quoted scripture out of context. With Adam and Eve, he didn't give Eve cancer. He said, did God really say? 90% of our battle is, is, is in the mind. And if we will believe truth versus error. So when you have people that, anyway, so that's why. Okay, 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 okay. I'm going to get off my, my hobby horse, which, it, which please, please understand the why. The why is that we get this order right. So when we talk about being a follower of Jesus, I'm not talking about a social media following. I'm not talking about a like, like, happy face. Like, I'm not, that's, no, 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 not that kind of follower. That's a fan, or that's just polite, I don't know. I don't even know if people even read all the stuff they like. They're just like, oh, no, okay, tick, 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 okay, great. Like, that's, that, that's not how, we don't get to follow Jesus like that. If we are going to follow Jesus, it's, you're walking, I'm following. You're changing direction, I'm going with you. You say jump, I say how high. You're the, you're the master, I'm the servant. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And all of this might sound so far, it might sound a little bit hectic, a little bit intense. But guys, the, the reality is that God has actually called us to a, to a joy-filled, peace-filled, fruit-bearing life. And that's where fruit is formed and not forced. John 15, verse 1. We took a look at it a couple of weeks ago. Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the true grapevine. 
and my Father is the gardener. Remain in me, verse 4, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you be with Jesus, is another way of putting it. You cannot be fruitful. And, and, and again, just to clarify, obviously you can be fruitful in the sense of you can do stuff. You can produce stuff. You can do good works. You can, you can look impressive on the outside, but you cannot produce any significant fruit that has an eternal consequence. Fruit that is life-giving, that is like we cannot do that aside from being with Jesus. Verse 5, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. So salvation will produce fruit. I want us to avoid both extremes, okay? I'm not saying that we're not saved by works, so we're just saved and we can just kind of get out of hell free and and just do whatever we want. No, no. If we, if we are following Jesus, there will be fruit. We will become like him. We will do what he did. But again, thank God, they were all on different journeys. So yeah, that's why you also can't compare to somebody else. And that's why we can become accidental Pharisees when I, when I make my application or my journey, my obedience, I make it law for you today. And God's had to challenge me on this. Some of you know that over the years we've fostered and, and adopted. And years ago, it, it, was, it was hard for me not to preach a message, not to, not to communicate this application of what I think is a biblical principle. So there's a biblical principle that God cares about the widowed and the orphaned, the vulnerable. Our application was to open our home up. But now if I make our application the golden standard, for you, that becomes legalism. That becomes religion. That becomes, I become an accidental Pharisee. But we will produce fruit. So again, I can't tell you what it should look like in your life. I can't tell you how to obey God. In, or it, it shouldn't be comparing to one another's pictures. But, but we also cannot say that I'm following Jesus if I'm not becoming like Jesus. And, and you'll know. And the people around you will know. And again, you're, not, you're never going to get it all perfect. I'm just saying that you're going to become more loving, peaceful, kind, joyful, self-controlled, faithful, good, etc. And then verse 8, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. It brings Him glory. So does God care about us producing fruit? Absolutely. If you don't think he does, then I would argue that you're not in a relationship with Jesus. If, you, if you're in a relationship with Jesus, you will sense. You see, if, if your heart has been melted by the grace of God, if your heart has been melted with a revelation of what I actually deserved and how Jesus took my place and what I got instead, like that melts your heart to where you want to. Like you want to... Like, sheesh, God, if there's anyone I can trust, it's you. I'm going to surrender my life to you. I want to be with you. I want to become like you. I want to do what you did. So, very quickly, John 15, verse 9, Jesus says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. That is being with Jesus. Remain in his love. Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
So, so what does it mean to be with Jesus? It means to keep positioning yourself to taste and see that the Lord is good. Two weeks ago, we gave you a few examples of some practices that you can put into place that'll help with your rhythms in life, that'll help create space, that, that might help change your pace so that you can be with Jesus. If you've ever gotten burnt out in church, it's because your doing for Jesus has outweighed your being with Jesus. And then we can get angry at the people that we feel are pressuring us to do more. Guys, that's where we have to take responsibility and say, you know what, right now my doing is killing my being. And so let me, I want to make it very clear. In our church and with our leaders, this is the standard and this is the order. So if they, so if they ever have a personal conversation with you, it's because they love you and care for you and because they don't want your doing to kill your being with Jesus. In terms of becoming like Jesus, Martin shared a few different angles and aspects of this last week. And I love this picture of the triangle where, where it kind of just, just almost summarizes that message. Where the Holy Spirit uses life circumstances and everything that's going on, but add to it teaching and community and practice. And the Holy Spirit actually uses all of these things to help us become like Jesus. That's why teaching is so important. Uh, getting input. Listen, uh, that's why I don't think Sunday should be something that, that you flip a coin about. Like, like, let's learn together. Let's grow together. We're in a life group. We, we are learning. We're growing. We, we're getting teaching. The Holy Spirit uses that. Community, people that'll, that'll point out blind spots or that'll, or that'll maybe think about something that you haven't thought about. And, and, so, and so it broadens your understanding and your perspective. And we learn together. We grow together. We have each other's backs. That's community. And practices are the things that we commit to where, where we don't just leave it to chance and we just hope or try. No, no, we're going to actually put things into place that will help us to be with Jesus daily, to become like him, and to do what he did. I love this quote by Dallas Willard. He says that discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. You want to know what, what discipleship is? Right there. It's allowing him to help you become. Discipleship is a process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Now, let's focus on doing what Jesus did in the last 11 minutes and 14 seconds that I have, okay? If I were to summarize what Jesus did, and and if we want to have that same heart in where we are actually living lives that are growing, again, it's a journey, you're on a journey, growing in doing what Jesus did, I think this verse is incredibly powerful. Just a few verses down. So our main text today is John 15. Verse 12, it says, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. You want to know what Jesus did? He loved people. Everything that I'm about to tell you, it it all falls under love. So again, if we're going to do justice, let it be from love. If we're going to do missions, let it be from love. If we're going to do generosity, Let it be fueled by love. If you're going to try and sort out your marriage, you're not going to sort it out by getting some professional to whip you into shape if there's no willingness to try and love and to allow God to actually do a work in your heart. It is love, love. I know there's a song in there, but there's love, okay? (laughs) We will only do what Jesus did if we see like Jesus saw. We will only do what Jesus did if we see like Jesus saw. And Jesus saw people through a lens of love. Where 
where we would see a crowd of annoying, belligerent people, Jesus sees a group of people like a sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. Where a woman who is caught in the act of adultery is, is dragged in front of a bunch of people that want to shame her and punish her, Jesus sees a broken individual who is being humiliated, but who is humble and, and who he can offer forgiveness to. When, when Jesus comes across a Samaritan woman at a well, not only in that day was the gender divide bigger than it's ever been, but there was this ethnic, social divide between him as a Jew and her as a Samaritan, where someone else would see her as unclean or a half-breed, Jesus saw someone that had equal value as a created child of God. We will only do what Jesus did if we will see as Jesus saw. So I'm going to give you a few examples in a moment of what Jesus did, but, but, but here's the homework, all right? Like, here's the end of the story. What do I want you to do? I want you to pray. Maybe before you go to sleep tonight, maybe the last 60 seconds of brain activity, or tomorrow morning when you wake up. I want you to pray that God would help you to see people through his eyes. That person that annoys you at the office, that person that, that's going to push in front of you at the taxi rank, that person that's going to, uh, you know, that's kind of like spreading, you know, stuff at school, that person who's, where everything about them just kind of, you know, annoys you. God, help me to see people the way you see people. Like, I'm making it really simple, everybody. If you want to do what Jesus did, just ask to see as Jesus saw. If I just give you a bunch of lists and rules and regulations of what you have to do, then it's just going to become religion. But if we will have this heart that is formed by Jesus and massaged by Jesus and strengthened by Jesus, then we're going to love people and see people differently. We're going to see beyond the surface. We're going to see beyond their history, beyond their hood. Even this weekend, I've, I have had to pray. Listen, I've had to pray like I, have, I haven't had to pray for a while. God help me. God help me. God help me to see people. God help me to see beyond this hatred. God help me to see beyond this racism. God help me to see beyond, beyond this deception and confusion. I mean, I'm getting angry at this, at this false teaching and it's, and it's blasphemous and heresy as far as I'm concerned. But God, you love the person behind this. God help me to see. Help me not to take offense. Because offense is taken, by the way. It's not given. So, just a couple of examples of things that Jesus did. He loved authentically. It wasn't a facade. Like he loved people. He was gentle with the weak. He was honest with the arrogant. And, he's, and he lay his life down for everybody. And by the way, he even loved his enemies. That can't be faked. That can't be forced. Not long term. That has to be formed. That cannot be done outside of a supernatural work of Jesus in your heart, which comes from us positioning ourselves to be with him. Secondly, he served humbly. John 13 tells us the story of Jesus you know, taking his outer garment or putting on a towel and washing his disciples' feet because they were all too important to do it to Jesus. So Jesus did it for all of them. The reason that he could do that, the reason that he could serve humbly is because he was secure in his relationship with the Father. That story says that he knew where he'd come from, where he was going, who he was. He had an identity and a security 
based, like it was, it was founded and grounded in the Father, so he didn't, he didn't have to impress anyone, or it didn't matter if others thought like, well, he's obviously lowly. He was secure, so he could serve without worrying about the implications, the ripple effect of how people may see him taking a lowly place. So, so today's context, by the way, serving is, can only, you know, we only think that's noble and good. But, but what about when we take the, the, low, the, the high road, or, or, or what about when we humble ourselves when there's a fight going on? What about when we give up the need to prove ourselves to be right? I think that's a modern day application of this. Because we all, we all, like we all get this thing of servant leadership nowadays. To where that can even just be like a, a, a farce. So, so what about when, where it really matters? Where there's a, where there's a conflict going on and, and everybody... Listen, can I tell you, I hate being misunderstood. Like, I don't know if there's anything that freaks me out more. Because it's just not true. Right? So you want to be able to defend yourself, protect yourself. Stand up for yourself. What, what if... Like, what if in that situation, God said, Jason, like, just, like, almost like just put a hand on, your, on, on, on my shoulder. He said, like, like, Jason, just, it's okay. Can we be that secure that we don't have to always be right? He worked. I know that's the part we'd all like to delete, but Jesus worked. He was diligent. Before the last three years of his life where he walked, you know, where, where he went around and taught as a rabbi, he worked as a carpenter. I imagine that he was quite diligent. I imagine he must have been quite creative, being the son of God and all. But he worked. So do what Jesus did. It doesn't only mean do what we call spiritual things. Can't work be worship? Number four, he did justice. And I think I've said enough about that, so I won't go into too much more. But let me just tell you that Jesus does care about justice. Jesus would hate racism. He would hate prejudice. He would hate us being okay with a gross inequality. He would hate us getting rich off of the back of oppression and exploitation. Like, he's not okay with that. So I think Jesus would do stuff about that. Number five, he was generous. He gave everything. Yes, God, like, do I really have to give my tenth? No. Okay, Jesus, you are generous. <laughs> Listen, I'm just sorry. I'm just using that as an example. Like, this could be anything else in your life, okay? Uh, allowing someone to come over for a meal where you don't feel like, I don't know. Again, you see, you see, that's why I don't want to make it legalistic. I'm not trying to give you a list of stuff that you have to do. I'm saying, I'm saying he wants your heart before your hands. So if he can get us generous, he doesn't have to tell us what we have. Like, like, he doesn't have to give us a list of stuff that you have to do to look generous. It's like, like you just will. You will be. Remember, fruit is formed. Not forced. Number six, he rested. I think that the single greatest attack on our relationship with God is our busyness, our distractions, and our fatigue. I think the fact that Jesus could withdraw from the crowds, which had very important needs, and go and spend some time with the Father. I think the fact that Jesus could sleep on the boat, maybe he just had a good sense, he even wanted to look back at it and laugh when the disciples were all panicking, freaking out when the storm came up, but he, but he slept. Like Jesus could rest. Jesus had rhythms that made his doing for God sustainable. And you cannot follow Jesus in a constant frenetic rush. Something has to change. Jesus 
was even accepting of human limits while he was on earth. Why aren't we? And then we wonder why we're not more loving and kind. Because we're exhausted and burned out and tired and fatigued. All right, so he rested. Number seven, he forgave the unforgivable. And again, that sounds great until it happens to us. And we can woo, you know. But when it happens to you, guys, it is impossible in the natural. It has to be supernatural. For Jesus to be on that cross, having already been beaten and bloodied in a way that would have killed many people before him, having a crown of thorns stuck into his head by the people that he was dying for, having a blindfold put on and him being punched and hit over the head with a stick and being mocked, prophesy, who hit you then? Being spat on, having his beard pulled out, having 39 lashes that alone would kill many people, having, having the flesh from his back and his sides and his ribs pulled off, ripped apart, and that back, that, that exposed back being forced against a rugged cross and he is standing on that cross with his nails and his feet, you know, Guys, and he's looking out at the very people doing it, and one of the few statements he makes from the cross is, Father, forgive them? That's hectic. That is supernatural. Like, that's not just an Oprah moment. That's the Spirit of God. Aside from which... You will want nothing but revenge. Number eight, he surrendered fully. Like he's the son of God, but he kept surrendering to the agenda of the father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, where he knows what he's about to go through, and he says not once, by the way, not twice, but three times, Father, if there's any other way, please, if there's any other way, take this, take this cup, this wrath that I'm about to experience, this, this fact that I'm about to become all of mankind and I'm about to experience. And, and I don't think it was the physical stuff that he was afraid of. It was, it was that wrath. It was that venom. It was that justice that he was about to, to experience on our behalf. He knew that he was about to be separated from the Father for the first time ever. So he knew, what. They, but, but Father, your will be done. He surrendered fully. If we will be with Jesus and become like Jesus, then we'll do what Jesus did and we will surrender to God's heart because we love God and we love people. And what if me getting my way right now would actually not be best for the people that God's wanting me to love? Number nine, he made disciples. So Jesus actually trained followers. He didn't, he didn't, just, he didn't just like throw out a little tweet once in a blue moon or, or, or just or kind of like, like throwing a little chips you know, like, like, like he actually cared about he cared about reaching out to people and to actually not just, not just throwing something out there, but actually helping train them. That's the great commission is for us to actually make disciples. And lastly, very importantly, please don't miss this. Jesus drew close to those far from God. Jesus drew close to those far from God. Jesus wasn't only concerned with insiders. In fact, he said that, that it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick that need a doctor. He was, he was constantly criticized by the religious leaders because he was eating and drinking with people that were far from God. 
And it messed with their heads. It messed with their sensibilities. And I honestly think that, like, yeah, I feel like we're going into a season. I, I'm, I'm so encouraged, so inspired, in spite of any kind of frustration and anger you picked up on earlier. I am so inspired by the, by, by the, by the fact that I think that God, I think that, I think that you're healthy enough. I think that our church is healthy enough for us to start inviting people, maybe more than what we are. And it doesn't mean that you're inviting them to a church service. I mean, it could just be that you're... Okay, so I'm getting ahead of myself. Three tips on how to draw close to those that are far from God. We need to intercede, invest, and invite. I say intercede first because I think it's important that we first talk to God about man before talking to man about God. And I think we'll be amazed. I said earlier, please, like, the only thing I want you to do, the only homework, like from everything I've said, the only thing I want you to do is to pray that God will help us to see the way he sees. If we would, I tell you, if we start praying, you'll be amazed at how you start caring for people. Like for you to put a reminder on your phone, maybe, maybe God actually put someone on your heart for the next few months where you just actually start praying for that person. You'll be amazed at how you actually start caring for that person. And remember, people don't care much you know until they know how much you care. So we intercede, then we invest. Invest, build a relationship. Like, just build, just build rapport, credibility. I love what John Maxwell says about being more concerned with connecting than correcting. Can I let you off the hook? You don't have to worry at all about correcting anything that a person far from God does. You don't. Like, like, like it is legit. It, that's not on the job description. That's, it's nowhere to be found. It is not your place to correct someone. If you're a Christian and you're in a community and there's a leader that, that you've submitted, there's responsibility, there's a different type of responsibility. It's a loving, accountable, like shepherding type. But that's, but, that's, but that's for people that are in the church. It's not your place to judge anyone outside of your community, outside of your church. We invest. And then we invite. And when I say invite, like just, it's just a come and see. Like, why don't you just come and see? Just give it a go. Again, I love Psalm 34 verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Hey, just come and taste. Just come and taste. If you have invested enough, if, you've invested, you know, if you feel like the opportunity is there and the timing's right, and the timing's not always right, so relax with that as well. God is a lot more patient than what we are. Like just, just invest, and if the opportunity arises, invite. Next year, we're going to embark on the journey with Alpha. Some of you, if you've been in church life much over the years, you might have heard about Alpha. I'm not aware of any program, any curriculum um, that has been used, I'm saying in the history of the world, by more churches from different streams and brands and, 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 and leanings and styles and cultures than, than Alpha. So, so I'm sitting in the church that... Um, that developed Alpha a few months back. So some of you know that, that a few of us went over to England to, to, to get some experience and some training with the Freedom curriculum that we're running. And so on that Sunday morning, I popped into that church, and, and it was just a great service. But I felt like when they showed the advertisement for Alpha, I, I just felt this peace, this sense of, like, it's the time. Like, now is the right time. So I messaged someone in the church here, a couple that, that, that came to faith with Jesus because of Alfred about 10 years ago. And, and like, I got a response almost immediately. Like, Jason, we've been waiting for you for four years. Like, yeah, we're in. We're in. So, 
so I really felt, and again, by the way, notice that. It's not pressure. I felt a prompting. I felt a peace. I felt like, okay, I think, I think we're ready for this. So next year, we're going to be running this. Can I show you a quick advertisement just to give you a taste of, of, of how this is presented? Um, like, I've been watching these videos thinking, like, we can do this. I think we, with confidence, we can invite people. And again, you might even be sitting here today where you have questions about faith, about what it means to, to have a relationship with Jesus. It's a, it's a, it's a safe environment where, where unbelievers, if you don't mind me using that term, um, uh, outnumber believers. So you're not coming into a group of believers where they're all just going to lambaste you. Like, no, it's chilled. It's just someone hosts it. But, but it's a safe environment to, to have some questions, you know, discussed and answered. Anyway, take a look at the screen very quickly. This is 